0: Uh welcome back to adult, adult Sunday School. Uh we're continuing on through through the Heidelberg Catechism. I put a post-it note to mark our spot. We're in Lord's Day 12. Uh questions 31 and 32. So we'll carry on uh in our series here. We finished, I think we pretty much exhausted question 31. Why is why is Jesus called Christ, meaning anointed? So we're on to question uh, thirty-two. Why are you called Christian? So last week, then uh, it means we we looked at this this enormous question: Who is Jesus? Th- there is no bigger question in the world than that question: Who Who is Jesus Christ? It's a question the whole uh, world, uh, even even non-believers are at some point maybe interested in religion and, and want to know who is, who is Jesus Christ. And as, as Christians who uh, find truth in the scriptures, it's important to start with, with biblical answers. And there's nothing more fundamental than, than the names that Jesus has. Names are really important. Uh, I was just talking to E. I won't put you on the spot, but uh, on Facebook this week we saw a picture of, of, uh, of an ultrasound of the new child. And I think he po- posted something like, uh, you know, on to the next, the next question, having solved the, the gender question. I won't, I won't spoil his news <laughs> for you. You have to ask him if it's a boy or girl. Uh, but he says, having solved that question, on to the next question, the name question, uh, right? Nobody just chooses names out of a hat. We, we spend a great deal of time thinking about what we will name our children. Uh, It it reminds me of the stories at the time of the Reformation, even in Geneva, uh, where the Reformed Reformation had its birth. Beware, this is one of those stories that's kind of horrifying. Uh, Ministers at the time of baptism, uh, if they didn't like the name that the parents chose, would simply make up a name right there on the spot. (laughs) <laughs> quite apart from, from the parents' uh, wishes or desires. Uh, this was not one of the more popular things that the Genevan ministers did. Uh, you know, at the time, well, we won't go down this rabbit trail. At the time, the whole point was to try to move away from saints' names to biblical names. Uh, that was one of the reasons. And so, uh, so maybe they did it for, for good reason. Probably some more teaching and instruction would have been helpful instead of just doing it. Uh, but names matter, names, names mean a whole lot. Uh, it, it ties you to a past. Usually there are family names. Uh, we have three little Scandinavian children with Scandinavian names, and everyone uh, is perhaps most puzzled by Gunnar's name. Uh, in California, a lot of people assume it must be a military name. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's actually G-U-N-N-A-R. Uh, it's, a, it's a good Norwegian name, because my grandpa called me Gunnar. That was sort of my nickname as a kid. So it's, it's not technically a family name, but it's a name that connects me somehow to the past. Jesus' name very much connects him to the past. Uh, so Jesus, uh, Yahshua, means Savior, and, and Christ means uh, the Anointed One. And, and it's especially in that anointing that we saw last week uh, where Jesus is connected to the whole Old Testament uh, and, and fulfills uh, these important Old Testament uh, offices. Uh, so last week we looked at uh, who is Jesus uh, and, and what does the name Christ, the anointed one, mean. This week we're asking a pretty important question, uh, a secondary question to, uh, to who is Jesus Christ, but a pretty important question. Who are you? Uh, what is your name? Uh, what are you called? Uh, so let's, uh, as is our habit, read, read the question. Uh, I'll read the question. You can read the answer out loud. Uh question 32 but why are you called Christian? Because. Thank you. It's a good question. It's an important question. Why are you? Why are you called a Christian? Uh, what is your name? You know, in an in an early draft, a, a bit of background here. Uh, in an early draft of the Heidelberg Catechism, and in fact, in, in Ursinus, the primary author of the Heidelberg Catechism, in his larger catechism, this is actually the second or third question of the catechism, uh, because y- your identity in Christ is, is, that, is that important. Uh, there's a lot of meat here in this answer. Uh, did, uh, one more side, the very first question uh, of the Book of Common Prayer uh, Catechism, the, the Anglican Catechism is, what is your name? That's the very first question of the, of the Anglican Catechism. Uh, it's, it's that important. What's the uh, the first question for the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What's the chief end of man? It's less personal. It's more about God. Um, and and uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, the, po- uh, the, the writer and poet, used to joke that you could tell the difference between the Scottish and the English based on the two questions of their catechisms. Uh, that, that the English catechism... Uh, well, perhaps implied applied some less, less intelligence. What's your name? Where do you begin with? Um, but, but, but the Anglicans fired right back and said, no, this is, your identity in Christ is, is fundamental. Uh, okay, we're going to open, open our Bibles and start working our way through, through the catechism. Uh, let's turn to Acts, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, um, Let's begin with this theme of, of, of anointing. What was it to be anointed in the Old Testament from last week? That's a good review question while I find the book of Acts. <laughs> what, was, what was it to be anointed in the Old Testament? What did we see last week? What's significant about Jesus' anointing? It means a, a lot of different things, but we'll, we'll take volunteer answers here. What's at the heart and center of being anointed in the Old Testament? The Holy Spirit, to have the Holy Spirit come upon you and give you gifts, give you uh, a calling, an ordination to an office, give you uh, the ability, the energy um, to to fulfill that office. Uh, The Holy Spirit came upon uh, Jesus from the moment of his conception, but then especially at his baptism, uh, and we asked that question, uh, uh, why was no oil used in Jesus' anointing? Uh, and, and I think Angela n- nailed the answer. It's because uh, the oil in the Old Testament, uh, by which you anointed prophets, priests, and kings, was sacramental. And, and in Jesus, he had a full measure of the Holy Spirit. The full gift of the Spirit uh, came upon Jesus. And so no oil was needed. Uh, Well, what will our anointing look like? That's the beginning of the catechism question. Because by faith I'm a member of Christ, and so I share in his anointing. How does that actually play out uh, in Scripture? Well, if you look at Acts chapter 2, verses 14 we can start reading, we'll see the pouring out of the Spirit promised and prophesied uh, for all believers, expanding beyond just, uh, prophets, priests, and kings, but to, uh, to all the sons and daughters of the kingdom. So Acts chapter 14, uh, this is the uh, 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 context of Peter's sermon here at Pentecost. Uh, Peter says, "'Standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, "'Men of Judea and uh, all who dwell in Jerusalem, "'let this be known to you and give ear to my words. "'For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, "'since it is only the third hour of the day.'" blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there we have the promise, the the prophecy that the Spirit will fall upon sons and daughters, uh, upon all who, who confess the name. That's right there at the beginning of the book of Acts. And then it comes... Uh, powerfully to pass in several different uh, places uh, throughout the book of Acts and, and of course, uh, in our lives. We can look at Acts chapter 10 to see one more uh, example. I think, actually, Acts chapter 10 is, uh, is Acts chapter 10 cited in our, is one of our proof texts. No, Acts chapter 2 is, but um, it's powerfully connected for us we share the same anointing with Christ in the end of Acts chapter 10. Verses 44. While Peter was still saying these things, uh, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who'd come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. There you see again the expansion of the gifts of the Spirit being given, uh, not just to Jews, not just to men, Uh, but to Gentiles as well and to females. Uh, For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Move uh, over to the next chapter, chapter 11 you get what is perhaps the simplest, uh, clearest definition of of what it is to be a Christian. Uh, What were the first followers of Jesus called? Disciples. They were called followers of Jesus, students, disciples, learners, ones, ones who followed after Jesus. The Spirit is promised. The Spirit comes upon uh, various believers as the disciples begin preaching. And what happens in chapter 11 of the book of Acts? In the very end of it, after, the, after receiving the same spirit, the disciples then come to be called what? Let's read it. Very end of chapter 11. Uh, well, let's start a little bit earlier. We'll take a running, a running jump at it. Uh, verses uh, 15. Of, of chapter eleven, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how He said, "John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit." If then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying. Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over uh, over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews, which we learned this morning was not one of the things they're supposed to do. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And, and here's the important, the important verse. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Why were they first called Christians? Because they received the Spirit. That's what the name, that's what the name Christian means. It means to have the same anointing that Christ had, to receive the Spirit. And so, after the Spirit is is poured out uh, in their lives, they come no longer to be just symbol followers, but they come to share in his anointing, and they come to have this name um, Christian. What else do we learn uh, from the catechism? Well, first, any questions or comments or thoughts about about that? We share in Jesus' anointing because we have the Holy Spirit. Any questions? Any thoughts about that before we keep charging on? Hmm. So mm-hmm. why would he say that, that they're not drunk? So do they have a particular behavior? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, why you... uh, why, why did, did Peter have to say at the beginning of a sermon, they're not drunk, uh, about, uh, about uh, the receiving of the Spirit? That, I mean, it's interesting, maybe in part, because we're so used to, um, to Pentecostalism it, it doesn't seem that wild or surprising, but I think at the time it it was quite unusual. It was quite surprising uh, that someone would would be able to to speak in these other languages and communicate this way. I mean it was it was meant to be a powerful sign uh, and demonstration of of god's power and and so uh, I think we have to assume that it was and people were quite surprised and when you're surprised, you try to grasp it it explanations, it answers. And the context seems to be that uh, there are some cynics, there are critics, there are always cynics and critics. And when they look at a powerful uh, demonstration uh, of God's work, uh, it's easy to sort of snidely put it down as something inferior. I think that's part of why the drunkenness maybe comes up. They're just... They're just drunk, they're just intoxicated. Um, I think it implies a kind of put down, not just a genuine question. It, it implies from the cynic's perspective that they're you know, making fun of this whole thing. Um, and so Peter responds, no, it's, it's in the morning. Uh, nothing of the sort is going on. Uh, and combined with the other signs and wonders, it, if the Holy Spirit comes with faith, then people will no longer scoff at the at the power of God, but will but will believe. Does that does that help? Yeah. Ryan, how how should we understand um, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Oh yes, yes. You want? We were going to talk about that. Um, how how are we to understand the the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Um, Tom and I were having a conversation. Uh, uh, a bit ago about how can the Holy Spirit indwell the believer when the Holy Spirit is united with, in, in the context of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, does that mean we have sort of all three persons of the Trinity dwelling within us? Um, how can the Spirit be severed off? I think that was that was something like the question. Um, it's a good one. I mean, one, this is a, this is a mystery. The, the holy mystery of the Trinity is, is, is beyond us. Even so, um, we can't confuse the unity of the Trinity uh, at the expense of the distinction between the persons. And so, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are, are one God, but also three uh, distinct persons. Not, not separate in the sense of uh, jeopardizing the unity. But there is a distinction. And so each have their own identity uh, of Father and, and Son and Spirit. And so to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit, um, it doesn't mean we're indwelled by the Father and we're indwelled by the Son. We're indwelled by the Spirit as a distinct person of the Trinity. And because the Spirit is Spirit and omnipresent, it doesn't jeopardize uh, the unity of the Trinity. I know you have a follow-up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 I, I don't want to, you know, I, I, I hope I'm asking this correctly without any conspiracy, <coughs> but the, it, it, is a, it is as if the, the, the three persons of the Trinity have tasks, so to speak. And this is this is one of the tasks aside from all eternity for the Holy Spirit, among others. Yeah, that's, that's a helpful way of putting it. It's, uh, the Spirit's unique job and role in the application of salvation to us um, is, is to give good gifts to us, um, to empower us in the Christian life, to strengthen us, uh, to work faith in our hearts. Um, it, the Spirit comes upon Jesus at his baptism and, and empowers him in his task in his role as prophet, priest, and king. Um, and, the, and the Spirit, uh, I think this was from our sermon even last week, the same Spirit who is at work in the Lord Jesus and who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead is at work in us. Uh, that's, that's a unique task uh, that's, that's, that's part of the Holy Spirit's uh, application of our, of our salvation. Um, it, it, and it's unique to the Spirit to give that kind of gift and empowerment uh, to us in, in the Christian life. Uh, okay, we also, uh, by virtue of sharing in Christ's anointing, uh, have, have union with Christ that's brought about uh, by the Holy Spirit, who's doing this special work uh, in us. Uh, we are a member of Christ, and if you look at footnote 1, it gives us uh, an important passage to, to look at, 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12 is, is an important chapter, and, and Paul's rather extended interaction with the Corinthians, where we, he reminds us that we're all baptized into one body, but there are There are many members. Uh, We could start reading at chapter 12, verse 12. Uh, This is a a pretty remarkable chapter about, about who we are together in Christ. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and an individual member and individually members of it. We can, we can stop there. So we have a, a unity together by being also members of Christ, who, who, who is our head. Uh, any thoughts or questions about, about this particular passage? Uh, I want to move somewhere else to see that, but we'll pause here just in case there are any, any questions. We can turn also then to uh, to Ephesians, uh, the beginning of Ephesians, a couple of different passages in Ephesians, to say more about what it means uh, to be a member of Christ. We share His anointing; we're part of a body with other members. But we also have uh, a kind of unity in the power of the Spirit that that is is life-giving and and nourishing in a special way. We draw our life um, from Christ. I'm thinking here of, of, well, there's so many different places in the book of Ephesians, but we could look at uh, Ephesians Ephesians chapter 1 is one passage I'd like to look at. We'll read a couple of verses from Ephesians 1, and then uh, we'll look at well, maybe it's Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5. We won't just read the whole book, I promise. <laughs> uh, Ephesians, let's start at uh, verse 3 of chapter 1. Uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual Blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purposes of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. You may notice now I'm, I'm emphasizing every time we see this in Christ, in the Beloved. We've been chosen in him. We have all benefits of redemption in him. Uh, this, is, this is our identity. Carrying on, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the, fulfill, uh, for the fullness of time, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Uh, there are so many themes then that we're, that we're already talking about that are there in that passage. Uh, moving over to chapter four, just a few quick verses, chapter four, verses 15. Rather speak the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we draw our life, we have our unity uh, from Christ as we're anointed uh, to be in him. By the, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, 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 the mystery of our unity with Christ is, is a high one. It's, it's one of the, the most remarkable things about our salvation is that we are in him. We have a unity that is, uh, that is indispensable, that can't be broken. Uh, and it's, it's difficult for us to fathom the closeness of this unity. Uh, that's what we find in, 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 in chapter 5, the passage about wives and husbands, uh, it's worth reading, not here to talk about husbands and wives, but to talk about uh, what makes that analogy powerful, which is the unity of Christ in the church. Uh, let me start reading chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body As their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Christ nourishes and cherishes uh, us uh, as his own flesh, uh, such as the unity that we have. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So there we have, we have Christ nourishing and cherishing the church, um, because we're, our, our unity is, is as if we're one flesh, which, which causes Paul to immediately say, that's a mystery. That is a great mystery. The closeness of the unity that we have uh, with the Lord Jesus is, is a, remarkable, uh, a remarkable thing. So uh, to end up uh, with the first part here of the catechism, uh, by faith, we're members of Christ, and so we share uh, in his anointing. Uh, we have the Holy Spirit. We are members with a head, and, and we have a closeness of unity that is almost beyond comprehension. Uh, those are the important points to take away from the, from the beginning here of the catechism answer. What are we anointed to do then? Move on to the second part of the answer. Uh, we're anointed to confess his name, present ourselves, and to strive, and afterwards to reign with Christ. Well, wh- what do all of those activities and responsibilities amount to? We have an anointing that we share with him, an anointing to what? To the three offices, right? So what's the first, what's the first office? I'm anointed to confess his name. What office is that? We have, the, we have the office of prophet. Exactly. We are anointed to present ourselves to him as a living sacrifice of thanks, what office is that? Priest. Priest. We are anointed to strive with a good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and afterwards to reign with Christ over all creation from all eternity. Now, here's an interesting question that I myself don't know the answer to. I, I think I have an answer, uh, but, but I'm curious what you'll say. Um, to strive with a good conscience against sin and the devil in this life is that part of the office of priesthood or the office of kingship? It may be somewhat false to distinguish sort of too sharply between them, but it, I mean, it, looking at the looking at the catechism question, it, it is interesting um, to confess His name is to be a prophet, to present ourselves is is the priesthood. Uh, to strive with good conscience against sin and the devil and afterwards to reign with him? Is that all part of the, the kingly office? Uh, I think so. I think, I think we strive with good conscience as part of our uh, conquering uh, kingly role that we share in his anointing and afterwards to reign with him. Uh, so I don't think our kingly office is just afterwards reigning reigning with him, it's now in this life to strive, to fight, to conquer as a king. Uh, I, I'd say it's, uh, it, it's introducing here the, the kingly office, but in the end, our identity as Christians is to be prophet, priests, and kings, and so uh, it's probably not uh, not that important that we carefully distinguish which, which is which. Um, well, here's an interesting question. We share this anointing, so we share uh, the anointing to be prophet, priest, and king. Uh, how is our occupation of these roles and offices different than Christ's? How are we prophets like Christ, but differently? We sin. We sin. That's a that's a like like Reverend Davis said this morning. What do we contribute? Well, we sin. Uh, True, but Christ is the prophet who proclaims himself. And in that, there's a difference. We're not prophets who proclaim ourselves. Uh, We're prophets who proclaim Christ. Uh, So it's a little different. How is the priestly role a little different? Christ offers, I believe one of my children has been playing with this pen because there's, there's no more felt in that, uh, in that tip anymore. Um, Christ offers a sacrifice of atonement. Christ's uh, great gift and sacrifice as our high priest uh, is perfect. Uh, and it's complete. It's once for all. Our sacrifices are not sacrifices of atonement, are they? What kind of sacrifices do we offer? Sacrifices of thanksgiving. That's a huge difference. But we do still offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. Um, Because of Christ's perfect sacrifice of atonement, our imperfect Sacrifices of thanksgiving are, are sanctified, uh, are consecrated, so that they're pleasing to God. They're not pleasing to God just in and of themselves. They're pleasing to God because of and on the basis of that one sacrifice of atonement. And so we live lives that are, that are pleasing to him, um, offering sacrifices of, of thanksgiving, of, of gratefulness, of gratitude. Um, our sacrifices as priests Thanksgiving don't earn our favor, uh, don't earn our our our, our place uh, in heaven, etc. They're they're pretty qualitatively different, and that's that's important um, to know. Uh, what, it's worth dwelling here a little bit on, and, and the few minutes we have left on, on what else this office of priesthood means for us. Uh, what else do we do as as priests? Um, Ursinus gives us a couple of things that I thought were pretty practical in his commentary on the catechism. Uh, helpful things that we can think about as Christians. What, what does this mean for us in our lives um, to, to share in Christ's anointing, to, be, to be, have this priestly office? Ursinus uh, says, first thing, in the power of the Spirit, we kill off the old man. So in the Old Testament, Priests offer sacrifices of of bulls and goats and lambs and they kill things, right? In the Old Testament priesthood, it's it's bloody, things die. Um, Those all point to Christ who is the the perfect spotless lamb and and we have our salvation because of, of his sacrificial death. But occupying the office of priesthood, we still we still in the power of the Spirit and by grace kill things, namely the old man, the old man that's in us. If you skip ahead towards the end of the catechism, question 88. Question 88 of the catechism must be around page 40 or so. Uh, At the very beginning of the section on gratitude, we have a question about about why must we still do good. And then Lord's Day 33, question 88, we have a, a, an important question that's part of our lives of gratitude. What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things, the catechism says, the dying away of the old self and the coming to life of the new. Question 89, what is the dying away of the old self? It is to be genuinely sorry for sin and to hate it more and more and to run away with it, run run away from it. So as as in our priestly office, that's part of what we do, again, in the power of the Spirit and by grace. We kill off the old man. We daily daily strive against sin and and the devil, like the catechism says. That's an important task. That's, That's the Christian life. Uh, it, it's, it's really important. It, it's a lot of work, and we have to pray daily to, to kill off more of the old man uh, as, as priests. What else do we do? Skipping back to, the, to question 32. Uh, Ursina suggests uh, the obvious, but it's important to say, we pray. The Old Testament priests and Jesus prayed. We pray. We pray and we worship. It's important, Lord's Day worship is important, family worship, uh, praying before we go to bed at night, before meals, that's part of the office that we have uh, as priests. We continually offer sacrifices of, of praise from our lips, it says in Hebrews, uh, and, and we pray. Or says, number three, what else do we do? We, we, we give alms. We give charitably. In that passage in, in Acts that we read, Acts chapter 11, uh, it's interesting, after, right after they're called Christians, because of the anointing that, that, uh, that the disciples share with Jesus and in Antioch, what's the very first thing that happens after they're called Christians? I didn't read this, this little conclusion of the paragraph, but it's interesting to note Right after they're first called Christians, a name identifying them with the anointing of Christ, uh, a prophet rose and came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. This is in verse 27. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. That's part of our sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise, and part of showing our gratefulness is, is giving alms, um, giving charitably. Uh, for our scientists suggest we, we confess. We confess our sins, we confess our faith in Christ, Uh, And fifth and finally, we we endure uh, our own crosses, our own suffering, uh, with patience and with humility uh, like our great high priest did. There's a couple of practical things then uh, that we do as as priests. Uh, How is our kingship similar and different? Uh, How is our kingship different? We're not perfect. We're not perfect. How is, is Christ conquering victory different? He does it in his own name. He is the king proper. Whereas we conquer by his power. And, and we receive a kingdom. We inherit a kingdom. That's the significance of some of, those, the, 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 some of the phrases from, from Ephesians chapter 1 that we read. We have an inheritance for us because of our, uh, our great king. So there are some differences that we share uh, or some differences that, that we have uh, from, from Christ's occupation of these, of these offices. Um, we receive a kingdom. Uh, well, that's ab- about where I think we're about at the end of, of our time today. Uh, next week, we'll press on to, to question uh, 33 and 34. Uh, but this is, an important, this is an important question, not to just sort of pass over. Um, there, there are so many, uh, in conclusion, so many identity issues in the world today. I, I thought that was one of the interesting points of, that, that Reverend uh, Davis m- mentioned. All the celebrities standing on the top of the building saying, "Who am I?" Right? Um, in various ways, shape, and form, we all have identity questions and issues, whether we're, you know, boomers or 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 Gen Xers, whatever it may be. Um, but our fundamental identity is, is in Christ. This question solves a lot of identity questions and issues. Um, we, we are prophets, priests, and kings who share in the anointing of the Lord Jesus. One of the most precious parts of this question and answer that I haven't talked, on, uh, talked about yet, but, but I would just want you to take note of in conclusion, is we have these offices of prophet, priests, and kings with a good conscience. When you think about identity questions in in the world today uh, and identity problems, almost all of them revolve around the problem of a guilty conscience. Our identity and occupation of the job of prophet, priests, and kings is a job we do with a good conscience because of Christ's priestly, uh, kingly, and and prophetic work. Uh, That's an inspiration, I think, for, for all of us. Uh, let's, let's close in prayer and, and afterwards we, we may have a time for a question or two up, up here at least if you have one uh, let's pray gracious Father uh, we, we rejoice that you have called us to yourself uh, called us to be in the Lord Jesus to have our life in him to have an inheritance in him um, you have solved uh, our identity questions in a fundamental way by, uh, by uniting us Uh, to your Son and the power of the Spirit. Abide with us uh, in this day of rest. Be with us this week uh, and empower us to strive and fight against sin and the devil, to pray and worship and give thanks and honor and glory to you. Help us to live in full reliance upon you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.